Hey everybody, welcome to Hacking Into Security, your career-related cybersecurity show. I'm your host, Ricky Burke, the InfoSec recruiter, and regularly we'll be catching up with a variety of guests from CISOs, entrepreneurs, VCs, new people into the industry, and more. Each sharing their story, industry knowledge, and advice on how others can navigate success in their career. So sit back, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hi, welcome to another episode of Hacking Into Security. I'm your host, Ricky Burke, and today we're joined by Chloe Mistagi. Chloe, welcome. Thank you for having me, Ricky. It's awesome to be here. Oh, no, thank you. So Chloe is the VP of Strategy at Point3 Security. She's an InfoSec advocate. She's a very, very busy person, and we'd like to get to know you and your journey. So first question to all guests is, who are you? Okay. Hi, everyone. Once again, my name is Chloe Mastagi. I'm the VP of Strategy over at Point3 Security. And when I'm not doing that, I'm also the president and co-founder of WOSEC, which is Women of Security. And then when I'm not doing that, I'm also the CEO and founder of We Are Hackers. It used to be called Women Hackers. And then when I'm not doing that, if you see there's this ongoing trend and when I'm not doing that is the Hacker Book Club. I'm an organizer and we basically, we meet every week on Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific time and we read a new book every month and it's usually written by someone in the hacker community or someone who wrote about the hacker community and the author and those mentioned in the books tends to join us. When I'm not doing that, I'm also a podcaster for ITSB Magazine's The Uncommon Journey with Bill Wiley and Alyssa Miller, and starting a new project called Hacking is Not a Crime, which is working to push for advocacy for hacker rights. Wow. Anything else? (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) Wow. So do you actually have any downtime? I do. Surprisingly, a lot of people ask me this. They're like, Chloe, are you burned out every single day? And I'm like, no, I just disconnect with my mobile devices and and Twitter on the weekends and it helps so much so I can have that work and personal life balance. Oh, that's it. I'd like to hear more about how you do that because that is such a struggle to be honest. Yeah, I do keep a to-do list. Basically, I have these three little notebooks that I carry around wherever I go one is for personal, some of the, the other ones for projects, the other one is for point three security. And basically it's like my to-do list, anything that goes to my head that I need to make sure that I do, I put it on there. And I write it down because human behavior, we tend to remember things when we write it by hand. But also say, for example, in the middle of the night, you wake up, you're like, oh my God, I forgot I need to do this. Or that's a great idea. I should do this. But happens is that a lot of times people take their phone and like, start doing like a to-do list or they'll send a message to themselves. And what happens is it interrupts your sleep pattern. So I do whatever I can to make sure I get my REM sleep every single night, even if it's like five or seven hours. That's awesome. Okay. That's some good tips. Thank you. (laughs) There wasn't the tips I was coming for, but that's a a very good start. (laughs) So talking through your current role. So in terms of your day-to-day job, your VP of strategy for point three security, knowing that different titles can mean different things in different companies, what do you actually do on a sort of day-to-day week-to-week basis? So basically the role of the VP of strategy over at point three security, it is finding the vulnerabilities and finding ways how to improve. So then we can grow internally and externally. So I basically see how can we get better? And so I'm always asking the questions, why the what and the how. So anytime I have a new idea that comes ahead, I have to think of those three, you know, the what, the why, and the how. And that's basically what my job is. It's about growing. How do we grow as a company as a whole? And how do we grow when it comes to brand awareness, 
as well. Awesome. Because, yeah, I mean, that's not the role that you've always been doing. With all due respect, you haven't been in the industry for that long. And to be honest, I, I, I think I first really saw a lot about you on social media a good few months back, particularly when we did the the Bug Crowd Level Up event. And since then, you have taken over my social media <laughs> channel. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> No, it's good. And yeah, obviously you used to work at Bug Crowd as well. And to be honest, what I wanted to do was really go into your journey, understand sort of how you got into security, how you got to sort of VP of strategy. So I guess how, how did it all come about in the first place or why security? Um, well, how far do you want to go back from university or from like a year before I went to InfoSec? Oh, yeah, way before. Right before. Okay. So right before I was a management consultant. So basically the job that I'm doing right now is what I used to do for companies and also for creating projects and working on projects. And these were usually to help grow, especially when you have to be lean as a startup. I mean, you're short on funds and also, you know, other resources such as personnel. And so that was kind of what I would do was trying to find how to fix something and how to improve something and how to grow effectively and efficiently and as fast as possible. So I did this for nonprofits at the beginning and then went into startup world because in reality of it is when you live in the Bay Area, you cannot pay your bills when you work for a nonprofit. It's really hard. And so I started doing work for tech startups because it definitely helped pay the bills. But at that time I got pretty like I guess I felt like I missed being in an office space because when you work in an office space, you get to know colleagues, you get to expand the world that you live in and you get to learn new things every day from individuals. And I missed that. And so I decided to start applying for jobs for full time. So I didn't have to go as a consultant, which is project by project. And when I contacted one company, a recruiter contacted me saying, hey, what about a cybersecurity company? Oh, right. Do you want to come work for us? And I was like, sure, why not? Because I mean, I've worked in all these other, like within tech, but all these different fields, like from health to travel to basically AI, like any, any different things. I was working on it at some point. And so cybersecurity was like, well, why not? This sounds like an adventure. This sounds exciting. And it was a startup. It was growing. And I said, sure, why not? And so I ended up going in in marketing first. So I basically was doing marketing for them to grow their brand awareness, but also to see how can we improve on messaging as well. And it was a wonderful opportunity because in the first couple of weeks, I like I noticed around me was that I had so many questions because the first thing you do in management consulting is you, you research everything you possibly can about an industry. You want to know the ins and outs. What are the issues? What are the pains? So then you can try to find out what are some ways how to heal those pains. And so that was what I did when I first started. I wanted to know everything. And the hole just kept getting deeper and deeper as I continued to dig. And I definitely noticed that there was a, definitely a lack of representation of like women in the space. And so that was another hard moment was that just when entering, I didn't really know of all these different things that were happening in the cybersecurity field. I mean, I knew that there was issues in tech when it came to women, but I had no idea what cybersecurity was like, in a sense, where it's even smaller percentage of women that work in it. 
And from there, I basically, I was trying to decide within a year's time if I should stay because feeling, being isolated and alone, being a woman. And I also, by the way, I did not know InfoSec Twitter existed, which right, is one okay. to note, because if I did, I probably would have felt a little bit less isolated seeing like Ian Coldwater or seeing Alyssa Miller or Tanya Janka or like malware unicorn and these are just fabulous people that are in this field that you know that kind of look like me and it and it was something I wish I saw earlier and so I remember I almost I was like that's it I don't want to work in this field anymore I'm done with this field like the discrimination the harassment like it was unreal like I experienced it and it was so bad that I couldn't believe like I felt like I went back in the 40s and I remember that I went to a conference called Day of Security about 2018 in June. And at that time, I was already applying for jobs to work at like a philanthropy or, or something that would be kind of like in the humanitarian and tech front. And I entered this room, there was like 200 women in there. And I felt so inspired that I couldn't go to sleep that night. And so I started thinking, what are all the solutions that I can bring to the table to try to change the demographics and how to improve the situation for women? And I went to, oh, I think it was like two months later, I had the opportunity to give a talk on basically on my findings and my suggestions on what we need to do next. And at that time, I also met Tanya Jenka and we formed WOSEC together along with some other women as well. And so WOSEC was created um, because I went to uh, DEF CON, Black Hat, and, and B-Sides Las Vegas, which was fabulous. And I kind of like just felt driven that I don't want to throw in the towel yet, that I'm going to do whatever I can to change the situation. And if I am successful in a couple of years of doing so, then I've made a space where I can be at and feel comfortable being in. And that was the whole thing was like, you know, Fix it so you can feel comfortable in it as well. And so after that, I, oh yeah. And then I social engineered my way to getting my job at Bug Crowd at the time. (laughs) I crashed every single one of their parties and it was great. I ended up getting a role afterwards and I got to work with Jason Haddix. And when I came into Bug Crowd, I was doing project management, but on the marketing side. And I really enjoyed it, but Haddix had this idea of kind of creating more of a researcher side, basically that we would empower and try to inspire and to connect with our, the researcher crowd. And I absolutely loved it. And so I joined Haddix on the security researcher side. And that's when my career just like took off. We submitted CFPs. We didn't know that we were going to get accepted. We thought like maybe a 10% acceptance rate, but we got accepted to 10, 90% of our CFPs. Wow. So not knowing this was going to happen, I basically lived out of my suitcase and just gave talks on bug bounty and how to get started in bug bounty, but also talks on how to be a woman in this field and succeed and to let other companies know how you can keep women and, and what are the things they need to be aware of. And when I was at Black Hat, I basically, someone messaged me 
over at Point3 Security and said, hey, I'm a big follower of yours and I wanted to talk to you because I'm trying to figure out what to do about getting more women in the field. And at that moment, I kid you not, I only had a three-hour break that entire week and that person messaged me and I was that black hat and I didn't really have anything to do. And I was like, why not? And so I met her by the pool and that's when I also met Evan, who is the co-founder of Point3 Security. And there we were starting to talk about like how one of the things on my bucket list after that day of security conference, when I went home and I made a huge list of all the things that need to happen, having a CTF for women around the world was one of them. And at the time I was three months into Women Hackers, which is now called We Are Hackers. And I was like, we should do something like working together because they provide CTFs. And so I was like, why don't we do something like a CTF for women around the world? And this could be really beneficial for the women hackers out there. And they're like, we love the idea. Let's do it. And so I started working with them on this project. And at that time, I started looking around the area to see where would be my next place to go work because I wanted to do a lot more. And I couldn't really do that much in the position I was in. And because I started working with Point3 Security on this one project, of course, they started also wanting me to join their team. And I ended up joining them as a VP of strategy because I didn't want to just be in marketing anymore. I wanted to do something with my management consultant background. And so it was a really good collaboration in a sense, because it's not just marketing. It's also yet to be really strategic of how do I grow and growing works internally and externally. And that is where I am today. And then I do all these other side projects because what happens is I look around the community or I listen to people in the community saying that, oh, this would be something that's needed. And I'm like, you know what? I have all the time in the world. Why don't I just do this? And then I go running with it. And yeah. And that's usually how I go. <laughs> that's awesome. So, wow. It, so things could have been very different had you not gone to that conference in 2018 then? Yeah, I probably would have worked for various different things, different organizations too that I was thinking of, but it was definitely going to be something related in tech and humanitarian work. Because I know or I remember reading about another conference you attended, RSA San Francisco 2018. And yep. obviously your experience there, I don't think was one of the best either. Yeah, it was definitely a push for um, at that moment was if you read about it in 2018, I remember it was like just in this room and it was it was a, a talk, of course. And when I was in this room, there's like hundreds of, of men in there and like two other women besides myself. And I was just like, please say you're not an executive assistant. Please say you're not executive. They both were. Oh, wow. And, and like, I remember like walking out of that room and just being like, this is just weird. Like, I know tech was bad, but I didn't know it was like this bad. And I remember going to the restroom and I, on one side is the male's restroom and the line is wrapped around the corner and the woman's restroom, there's like no line outside. I'm like, well, maybe there's a line inside the bathroom. I go in, there's not a single soul in there. And I was like, this doesn't feel good. And then I remember walking to the hotel and I, I go into the bathroom and I'm taking off my makeup. And at that moment, it was like a blindfold was lifted that all the things that I read, heard other people sharing with me of being discriminated and harassed, it all hit me that I didn't even realize it was happening to me the whole time. 
So that that was a conference that woke me up in a sense of where women stand. But it was also the thing that pushed me over the edge of wanting to leave the industry. However, I have to admit, RSA conference did a really good job the following year trying to do a better job on inclusion and diversity and they keep doing everything they can to improve on it. So I, I give them definitely applause for that. I remember seeing pictures of people posting photos of, of toilet queues for the, for, the, for the female toilets and showing sort of progress that you now have to queue up to go to the toilet. Yeah, I mean, there could literally be tumbleweeds in there. If there was wind in the bathroom, there would be tumbleweeds. So, yeah. uh, so speaking of the RSA C conference, you actually did a presentation recently. So I saw that was on gamification. So what, what was that? Or can you share a bit of detail on that? Yeah, so one thing that I studied back in my uni days was about cognitive science and so how humans behave and react. And so one thing that I was really focused on was how to reduce torture. So we don't have to torture people. We can actually use empathy as a way. That's a nice thing. (laughs) Yeah, right. To negotiate and also to understand each side. So everyone walks away as a winner. But it's also how you can collect intelligence better is by using empathy, not as a fake way, of course, but actually realistically meaning it because yeah, I think most genuine. humans know it. Yeah, humans know when you're, they don't always know you're lying, but they know when you're genuine or not majority of the time, if they're able to read people's eyes pretty well. And so one of the things that I was really focused on was also how gamification works when it comes to the human brain, because in a sense, the one part of the brain that I studied a lot was the amygdala and how we question biases, how we end up having empathy. How do we question who we are and how we see the world around us? And so the amygdala plays a really huge role in that. It's also our fight versus flight mechanism. And our memories are also connected with emotion. And so if our amygdala holds our emotion and connected to our memories, then it also has a better understanding of how to, you know, navigate hard conversations or how to navigate your memories yourself. And so gamification is one of those things that I strongly believe is a necessity because you're able to understand, you know, new, new material a lot faster and to be able to utilize it a lot quicker. And I feel like with more practice and understanding of how gamification can work, it can definitely help us when it comes to doing practices of, Say, for example, that you're experiencing a breach, you'll know how to react a little bit better to a certain extent. Like you'll be able to navigate through it because you've gone through it before, but realistically, we don't know how our emotions are going to set in. So it's really important to also have that self-awareness and check in as well, because human behavior does play a huge role when we are in a fight versus flight mode. Massively. So how did that relate to security in terms of your talk? So with that, so my talk for RSA conference for Asia Pacific Japan, it focused on how human behavior works and how we do it through gamification. So the entire talk itself was a gamified way of learning everything you can about gamification and how it thrives in our InfoSec community. So I first started off with the history, but the history itself was gamified because, you know, history can be very dry, especially when you're showing a timeline. So I basically write a bunch of facts and figures and then had a pop quiz suddenly. So the entire thing was 
it was interacted because I think the, the one thing that everyone should know is that if you're going to do a gamification talk, you have to make it gamified. That's the only way you can actually prove your point. Hey, this works. Cause chances are, if you're in a lecture for like one hour, you're only going to remember like maybe 10% of it. But when you're gamified, you're going to remember a higher percentage because you are involved and you're on your edge of your seat. So you're always paying attention in a sense. Oh, this, this is inspiring. So, yeah, you got me thinking about my future talks as well. That's really interesting. Yeah, gamify them. You'll you'll <laughs> see. You'll be like, what did I just say? Pop quiz. I'll throw candy in your direction. Uh, 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 okay, it's this one. Candy works really well if you can go to a physical conference some point in the near future. Oh, <laughs> please. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I used to do is I would throw candy into the audience when they would get an answer right. So that was, it was fun. It's definitely... Yeah, it keeps it keeps it going. Plus, everyone loves getting a sugar high once in a while. Exactly. Time for a quick break. I'm Ricky Burke. In my full-time role, I'm the founder and director of CyberSec People, a leading cybersecurity recruitment company, where we support organizations across the US and APAC in hiring cybersecurity talent. Through our connections and reach into the security community, our deep industry knowledge, we save organizations time when hiring. We have a 98% success rate and a three-year track record that demonstrates we only have to send, on average, two applicants to find success. If your organization is hiring, reach out as we'd love to discuss what that means for you. In the meantime, thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Speaking of conferences, you have done a huge amount and I, I know that you've done a few. Then I went onto your website and I was blown away. It's a crazy amount considering... No offense, but you sort of came out of nowhere a few years ago into the industry. I know you obviously you've you've mentioned obviously you got some really high acceptances working with Bug Crowd and and working on those. But I guess how how did that happen in terms of I guess the talks you wanted to do, getting I guess acceptances and sort of your place in the industry now, if if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, the one thing I've learned was so when I first did my first CFP, I got rejected two times at the beginning, and then I got accepted the third time. The one thing that I feel like everyone who's always nervous about first submitting their CFP is that just submit it anyway and submit a couple. So the trick is submit, you know, if you can, more than one. So I always say like do two or three if you can, if it's a big one, because you have a higher chance of getting accepted. But it's also about how you position it. So remember that the people that are going to be reviewing the CFP are not robotic, they're human beings, and some of them are technical, some of them are not technical. So it's really important is to encompass that kind of feeling. So when they are able to read that everyone can understand what you're going to talk about and put it in a way where it gets people excited. So titles can pull people in, but the language for the quick summary or abstract also pulls people in because they want to know what is this topic you're talking about. But it's also good to know is what is being discussed in the community the most. So knowing what's kind of trending or about to become trendy is also really helpful. So one of the things I noticed was burnout was one of those last year. And so I was like, oh, that might be a good talk. So I started researching, started talking to therapists and psychologists about it. And then I put together a talk around burnout. And then I started giving that. And it was perfect timing. Literally, sometimes it's luck. And perfect timing. 
And that's the reality of it. <laughs> Sometimes has nothing to do with what you do. It's about perfect timing and luck. I'm not so sure about that. I mean, to a certain, to a certain think, extent. <laughs> uh, I think that's that's very humble. But the thing is, you you chose or, or you've you know picked certain topics for a reason, and it's because it's topical, it's relevant, yeah. and the fact that you've then gone very deep into that, people are interested, and that really helps. Yeah, it's it's really important to kind of hear. I think one of the things that as the InfoSec community, we're really good at like hearing and knowing what's going on in our community. And it's just important to know what are the things that you're starting to see more and more that's prevalent that's not being discussed because those are the topics that people want to hear more about. And so that's how like the burnout talk started getting selected pretty well was because of, you know, with COVID-19, we have emotional oh, burnout, we also have work burnout. I mean, this whole thing is unreal. It's a surreal time. And so... Yeah, it's it definitely one of those reasons why that talk kept getting accepted was because of that. Great. And uh, no, that's, that's, that's really interesting. And obviously going on from that, you've then been involved in meetups, co- co-organizing them as well. So c- can you tell us more about We Are Hackers with a Z and Rosec? Yeah, so We Are Hackers, we, we've been around for a little bit over a year. We were created in May 2019. And what happened was that when I was at Buckrat, I remember reading a statistic that 4% of the hacker community identifies as women. And I was like, well, that's not good. And also there's all these bug bounty forms out there. But the reality was that some of us had a male alias name because we didn't want to get annoyed by other people and we didn't want to deal with harassment either. And so, but the other thing was that I found that a lot of women also wanted to learn about how to even get started as a hacker. Cause the thing is, is that I feel like a lot of women would love to do it, but they just don't know about it or they have never heard about it or they didn't ever see it as an option for them. And so I created basically women hackers at the time to create this private safe community that's supportive and encouraging and empowering for women all around the world to join. All they had to do was to show their LinkedIn profile so we know that they're a legit person. And basically we would add them to the Slack group. And so now we're over a thousand people and we changed it in a sense that we want to have better inclusion with marginalized genders. And so that's how we changed the title of our group now. It's called We Are Hackers. And we put on workshops, events, but we're basically a place where, you know, anyone could come, all the members can learn about the latest tools out there, to the latest resources for advice. Basically, they get to network with one another. It's just a really great place to get started. And no matter what level you are as a hacker, you're definitely welcomed. And that's the thing that I really love. Right. Sounds sound very inclusive. Yeah. Yeah. And so WOSEC, so Women of Security, we've been around since October of 2018. And basically we have chapters all over the world and we don't interfere with how they should basically do things in their own chapter because every city and every place around the world has their own community, their own culture. So we don't want to ever impose our culture on others. And so it's really cool because you'll have a chapter in Spain that does very different things, have different types of meetings versus like the one in San Francisco, which we do. Our culture is very much like 
here's a panel, here's networking, and here's some food and drinks, which is a very San Francisco tech thing. But it's, it's really interesting because then you'll have the chapter over in Chicago where they have brunch once a month on a Saturday or Sunday. Now that wow. would not work in SF Bay Area because all of us like to unplug on the weekends if we can. And so it's, it's really interesting to see the different type of culture, but basically it's for women and non-binary to basically come together in safe space. And it's for anyone in InfoSec or wanting to join InfoSec. It's a place for them to support one another and network. And we basically, we all, most of the time it was always a physical event, but because of COVID-19, we have shifted to virtual so now our meetups are like once a month, but virtually. So even those members that are like in Montreal or in Paris can now attend the SF Bay Area chapters. So that's a pretty exciting thing. That's really cool. And I guess just going back to whether it's, I guess, the, the meetups, whether it's conferences, out, out of interest, as, as someone who comes from maybe sort of a bit of a, I guess, non-technical background, how did you feel talking to or people at quite technical security conferences for the first time? I didn't really have too much of a problem with it at all. (laughs) And I think the reason for that is just like, I came from the academic world. So I did a lot of research stuff. And so it was, it was as technical as can be. So you're kind of already around like highly detailed individuals, but it's, it's the really, it's finding a way it's how to communicate and respect one another which I really enjoy. And also the one thing that I love is that if I ever have questions from anyone, I'm able to always know who to ask. And I think it's really the hacker community just is super open to me. And, and it's been, I wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for them. Yeah. Not asking questions and answering them. (laughs) It's it's good advice. I know that sometimes people can feel intimidated because maybe they, I don't know, they don't feel up to a certain level or they, yeah, yeah. That, that intimidation no, can be there. Like for, for me, I had the hardest, imi- like, I guess, feeling like that I would get would be when I go to Black Hat or, yeah, Black Hat or RSA conference, I feel extremely intimidated. And the reason for that is just like, imagine just being surrounded by everyone who isn't looking like you all the time. And, and the other thing is that when I was... <laughs> Attending Black Hat, I would have people asking me like, oh, excuse me, where's the restroom? Or, oh, when are the drinks coming out? Or can oh, you get no. my food dish? Even if I was wearing like a speaker badge or something like that, I would always have someone like, oh, so you're wearing your husband's badge? I'm like, what? Do you even see a ring on this hand? Like, Whoa. it was ridiculous. And so I would say like, for me, those are the moments where it's the, the most awkward moments is that you don't catch it in time sometimes. And you're just like staring like, wait, did he really just ask when are the food coming out? I'm wearing a gala type of dress here with high heels. I don't think I dress like a waitress here. It was just, that was the only annoying thing. I would say that's the hardest thing is that when you're around a bunch of men that don't see you as part of the, uh, part of cybersecurity in general and the industry that's the hardest thing to deal with is to keep pushing saying, no, I'm not your assistant. No, I'm not a secretary. And a lot of times when you do share like your title or what you do, they kind of like, how did you get there? Like that doesn't belong to you. Like I've actually had men tell me like, you shouldn't have a VP title. And I'm like, why? (laughs) And then I was like, because you're young. And I'm like, keep going. 
keep going. <laughs> like it's really, it's, it's crazy sometimes. It really is. That's dis- disgusting. Yeah. So uh, have you seen much of a change over the last two, three years? I would say that, so I, I tend to do is like when I go to one conference to another. So say, for example, I went to RSA conference in 2018, I went in 2019 and 2020. I start realizing the differences that I see. I would definitely say we're doing better, but we're still having some issues within our industry when it comes to making sure that harassment is being dealt with completely and discrimination, because that still very much exists in our industry. And I know usually the answer is like, well, that's in every industry. It's like, but I'm not talking about other industries. I'm talking about ours. Like we need to fix this. And so I think the thing that I hate the most is when you hear about a woman being assaulted by some man and you hear the same man's name coming up over and over again. And these victims don't have anywhere to turn because they're afraid to speak out of, you know, dealing with character attacks. And that's just not acceptable. It's, it's not, but it's one of those things that I know exists in every industry, but we are known for fixers, right? We tend to fix things and we tend to find the vulnerabilities and try to patch them and come up with ways of how to go about that. And I feel like we could use our industry as that showcase place that we're achieving this and this is how we're doing it so other industries can follow. And so I think that's like the one thing that I really, really think if we can pull ourselves together and come up with ways how to prevent these people that are assaulting and gaining away with it over and over and to protect the victims so they still can have a career after this and that they're not known for doing that or they're not asked what were they wearing or how much drinks did they have i think that's one we're starting to really starting to change wow gosh that's just really sad to hear yeah (laughs) Well, hopefully the progress is happening. I think the more, the more you know, people like yourself and others out there just create more awareness, then that, that can only be a good thing. I think that's, that's pretty much it, is just getting awareness out there and you know, getting people to understand what is mansplaining, which is one of those things. I feel like our industry should just take a bunch of lectures on mansplaining and all the different <laughs> ways mansplaining works, because that would be really helpful for a bunch of us in the industry that are women. So yeah, maybe there's a, there's a CFP there. Yeah, right. How to not mansplain one-on-one. So in terms of, I guess, organized, organizations themselves, what, what do you think they could be doing differently to help try and address some of the skill gaps in their team or, or diversity gaps in their teams? So I think the first thing is to note is doing surveys is really helpful. So doing surveys in-house that are anonymous is going to be very useful. So you can know how people are feeling, how they're standing. So because the thing is that if you're going to bring in new people, you want to make sure that you first address the problems that are within house. And so I think that's the first thing is to have a survey, see what's really going on, have transparency on this front. And the other, the unfortunate bit is that HR is not going to be your best friend majority of the time because they're there to protect the company. But I feel like if the company is willing to work with HR and to try to shift and change things, I think that's going to be really useful. But the other thing is that until there are people that are underrepresented that are having those C-level seats or being on boards, 
it's very hard to create any change. That's the one thing I have definitely have learned is that the more there are underrepresented folks at the decision table, it does play a significant, I hate using this term, but trickling effect. And I think that's what's really needed is to find people to do that kind of stuff, to be there. Because even though companies are like, oh, we have a woman on our board, it's HR. And so that's not enough. 50-50 of the world is men and women. There should be 50-50 there too. And so I think that's one of the things is just, I want to see better you know, representation of those are underrepresented in our community up on the, you know, sea level and, and boards and whatnot. I also think it has a lot to do with VCs as well. It's really important for VCs to understand that, you know, this old belief that if everyone is like you, you get to move faster. I'm like, yeah, that's great, but it doesn't develop new ideas. It doesn't manage the issue of being smarter than your competitor and that's the one thing that diversity does bring is that it's able to ask the questions before you release a product to make sure that it's aligned with many people in the community that would have been ignored if that product came out with everyone who is the same. And so I think it has a lot to do with, you know, the executive side and VC side. And I think that once those things are kind of taken care of, it's a little bit easier from there. But also it's important to also notice of how are you writing those job descriptions? I think job descriptions themselves can be pretty biased in many oh, ways. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. And so it's really important is to make sure you have someone looking over that who's underrepresented to tell them whether or not this is okay or not okay. Because I still see he must have the following. And oh. so, and it's weird to still see that in 2020, but you know, it's 2020. So I think that that's kind of what some of those things and also making sure that you have a collective agency within your company that self like basically helps and supports one another. This could be like a diversity inclusion team or equity team. And these are just people that, you know, volunteer in the, at the company to push agendas that are going to help create a more inclusive environment. Yeah, because uh, well, I'm assuming here, but I think many organisations would have people within their businesses that would be happy to do that. Right. Exactly. That's, that's some great suggestions. And as as someone, I guess, as we sort of spoke about in the beginning, you you are a very very busy person. I guess what what does the future look like for you, if you know? That's a great question. It's hard to know what's going to be the next day in 2020. Oh God, um, this is worst year. <laughs> It's definitely been a weird, surreal, challenging year. It's hard to even think about that kind of stuff. All I want to do is just keep pushing the the stuff that I'm working on now and who knows what I pick up on the way. But I definitely will consistently still be a fighter for rights for hackers and, and rights for for inclusion and diversity and trying to pass the mic to those that are voiceless at the moment Anything I can do to bring a better representation to our our industry is something that I'm willing to do all hours of the day. It certainly seems that way. Well, Chloe, thank you so much for your time. It's been awesome to catch up with you and really look forward to, to sharing your journey and hopefully inspiring a few other people out there. Well, thank you for having me. It was awesome to be on here, Ricky. You're welcome. Take care. Thanks for listening. And if you've got any questions, comments, please reach out to me. You'll find me online anywhere, CyberSec Ricky. And if you would like to be involved in the future, maybe be a guest and then reach out as well. Thanks for your time. Have a great day.
Bye.